you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up to him. They took his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Well, good morning and welcome to church. A particular welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. Uh, Perhaps you're visiting from out of town. Uh, Whatever has brought you here, we are glad that you're here. My name is Dave. Uh, It is my honour to serve as the lead pastor of this church. Uh, And I'm going to say three words. Christ is risen. And in response, you're going to say, He is risen indeed. You ready for it? Christ is risen. That is good news of great joy for all people and what a joy it is to gather together this Resurrection Sunday. Uh, It's been a big week of gatherings. Uh, Tuesday night we had our prayer and praise gathering. We had our Good Friday church services. Uh, We had a stunning day yesterday with our Easter baptisms. Uh, And we gather again today to make much of Jesus. Uh, A big thank you to those who have served. Uh, Lots of people have served across all of those events to make those things happen. We are thankful to God for you uh, and for your uh, participation in all that God is doing among us. Well, before we reflect upon God's Word together, why don't we pray one more time? Uh, I'm going to pray using the words of a traditional prayer that Christians, uh, millions of Christians around the world pray every Easter Sunday. Uh, Why don't you join me in that prayer? Almighty God, you have conquered death through your dearly beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and opened to us the gate of everlasting life. Grant us, by your grace, to set our mind on things above, so that by your continual help, our whole life may be transformed. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit in everlasting glory. Speak to us now, Lord, through your holy word. And all of God's people said, Amen. Uh, Well, our Easter theme, as Tara introduced before, is His Story, Our Story. It's critical that when we know his story, we ought to see how it should impact our story. And so on this Resurrection Sunday, we're going to get straight into the action and see how the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, how it happened, 
and how it therefore changes everything. Like all good Easter sermons, uh, there's three things I want you to see and take note from God's Word. This Resurrection Sunday, three important elements to His story and why this should become our story. Who's ready for the first one? Come on, that was way more than three people, which is a normal Sunday. Jesus is alive. Number one is the historicity of the resurrection. Number one, the historicity of the resurrection. Uh, It's a good thing as you read the gospel accounts to take note of the historical markers in the text. You see, Christianity is not just a set of teachings from a wise sage. Christianity is not myth and legend. Christianity is based on the claim that real events happened in real history. That Jesus really did die in time and space. That Jesus really did rise again in time and space. You know, before considering the historical markers in God's Word, it's worth just taking a moment to consider other sources. You see, when discussing the historicity of Jesus... Uh, popular new atheist Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion, suggests this. He says, It is even possible to mount a serious, though not widely supported, historical case that Jesus never lived at all, as has been done by, among others, Professor G.A. Wells of the University of London in a number of books, including Did Jesus Exist? Although Jesus probably existed. <laughs> Now, Dawkins quotes, uh, his quote there is fairly dubious because he's quoting a German language teacher who doesn't even work in a history department. And so what is the historical evidence that Jesus existed? Is it just the Bible that speaks about Jesus or is there external evidence and historical evidence for Jesus? Well, there are. There's actually many uh, references. There's quite a few Greco-Roman references to Jesus. Let me give you one from uh, the Roman historian Tacitus. He mentions this. He says that Christ had undergone the death penalty in the reign of Tiberius by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. Uh, You know, that statement, and we could look up a whole bunch of others if you're interested in them, they're brief references, but they're important. They tell us that Jesus isn't just some myth, but a character firmly grounded in the history of first century Palestine. Uh, External evidence can also be found by looking at uh, non-Christian Jewish references to Jesus. Uh, There's a couple of well-known references uh, by the well-known works of Josephus uh, in the Talmud, which is a Jewish uh, rabbinic teaching as well. Here's a quote from Josephus. He said, Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of surprising deeds, a uh, a, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct to this day. Again, it's a brief reference, but evidence of Jesus in documents external to the Bible. But as well as Greco-Roman references and non-Christian Jewish references, external evidence can also be found through archaeological and geographical evidence. 
Archaeologists find, uh, archaeological finds are consistent with descriptions in the Bible. Uh, For instance, the Pool of Bethesda, it's mentioned in John's Gospel, but up until the 19th century, scholars were sceptical that it existed. And yet, in 1888, it was discovered in an archaeological dig, and it was consistent with the description from John's Gospel. And you know, as you read through the Gospel, many of Jesus' movements through the Gospels are based on an accurate knowledge of the geography of Palestine. Now, that's not a knockdown argument that Jesus therefore is God, but more external evidence that the Bible is grounded in time and in history. But as well as the external evidence, there's also internal evidence. Now, some suggest that the Bible can't be considered a reliable source for learning about Jesus. But that's not right. That's not how historians approach uh, the Bible. Uh, they re- historians don't approach the Bible as a holy book, but they apply to the Bible the same test that they would any other claim in any other historical text. You know, the suggestion you cannot learn about the Brisbane Broncos from one of their fans. Uh, Well, you can. It might be a little bit biased. And you you can learn from Jesus from one of his fans. And, And historians are well aware of who is writing history and some of the things to be aware of how things are made known. I love this quote from uh, Sydney-based historian Dr. John Dixon. He says, At the heart of the world's largest faith, Christianity is not a lone spiritual insight, a mystical story from the dawn of time, or a dictation of divine words in a holy book, but a series of events that are said to have taken place in public, in dateable time, recorded by a variety of witnesses. For better or worse, Christian scripture is fundamentally different from other holy books. In the events of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, believers claim to observe a tangible, testable sign directing us to the kingdom of God. Christians are therefore not just claiming to possess a dogma, a set of divine truths, but a verifiable history. As a result, the beliefs and texts of Christianity are suddenly open to public investigation. That's good news. This means we can investigate it. You know, what, what do we do, what do we make of the history of Jesus' resurrection in the Gospels? Well, we're going to turn there and not just look at external evidence, we're going to turn to the internal evidence. Um, we're going to look at the chapter uh, in John's Gospel, in John chapter 20, but I'll get you to turn with me to John chapter 19. Uh, John chapter 19. If you don't own a Bible, uh, please go and see our team out at the info desk after the service. We'd love to put one in your hands and encourage you to read it. But pick up with me for a moment in John chapter 19, verse 14. It says this, Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. Jesus' crucifixion, we're about to talk about the resurrection, but let's just go back a day. Jesus' crucifixion took place on a certain day at a certain time. Jesus was then buried in the tomb of a man with a name, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And then in chapter 20, and we'll turn there together, Jesus' resurrection, we see, took place on a certain day at a certain time. Pick it up with me in John chapter 20, verse 1. It says... Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone 
had been taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. It's an interesting historical marker that that Mary Magdalene is reported to be the first to discover the empty tomb of Jesus. Now, why is that interesting? Well, this points, I think, to the authenticity of this story. Uh, If you know anything about the first century, in the first century, sadly, uh, women were not considered to be a reliable witness in the court of law. And so to record that a woman was the first to the tomb would be foolish if this were a made-up story. But rather, I think it points to the truth and the authenticity of the claim, that that's not hidden, because that's actually how it happened. The story then continues, verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple, I love this bit, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came. Following him and went into the tomb, he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and he believed. Now, just a quick aside, I love that the running race race between John and Peter is recorded. It adds nothing to the main storyline. Why is it there? Because it happened. And because John won the race and he's the one writing the book. <laughs> I love that. You see, the biggest historical reality so far in this account is that what? The tomb is empty. There is no body. There are no bones. After seeing Jesus raised from the dead... The apostles became his witnesses as they shared that Jesus rose from the dead. But this wouldn't have been possible if the tomb wasn't empty. If the bones of Jesus could be brought out by the authorities. They would have given anything to produce evidence that Jesus was still dead and buried. And it would have immediately stopped the spread of the message. You know, you can go to Jerusalem today and there's 20 empty tombs of Jesus, each of them selling merchandise. Do you know what they all have in common? None of them have the bones of Jesus held within them. Because the historical reality is this, that Jesus existed, that he died on a cross and his tomb is still empty. You know, imagine this scenario with me for a moment. Uh, the Gabba, uh, the, the, the cricket ground uh, at Wool and Gabba, and imagine there's a cricket game taking place there uh, between Australia and England. It's an Ashes Test match, and a major fight breaks out between the opening bowler from England and the opening batter from Australia. Now, just for the sake of this scenario, imagine this is a time uh, before uh, digital cameras covering kind of everything and uh, there isn't the opportunity to capture this on a phone, there isn't a telecast that's taking place. How would it be possible to establish what the English opening bowler said and why the Aussie batsman threw his bat? 
How would it be possible to establish that? It's quite simple, isn't it? By asking one of the many witnesses in the crowd, at the game, who were there. You see, the good thing about the claim that Christianity happened in history, in space and in time, is that we can do the work of, hey, we weren't there, but we can weigh up the eyewitness accounts, those who did see what took place. You might be really sceptical of these claims that the tomb of Jesus is empty, that he was physically raised from the dead. That's okay. It sounds pretty wild, doesn't it? And we're glad that you're here. Each week we investigate the claims of Jesus and the claims of Christianity. But let me urge you this morning to at least consider them, to at least to weigh them up and to consider the impact that the empty tomb has had on those witnesses and in fact has had upon history. One author, James Denny, he said this, the existence of the church, the existence of the New Testament, these incomparable phenomena are left without adequate or convincing explanation if the resurrection of Jesus be denied. And so as we consider the evidence of the empty tomb, we are in a similar position to John. Remember chapter 20, verse 8, then the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. Now, here's the phenomenal thing right now with John. John hasn't yet met the risen Jesus. He hasn't yet seen Jesus physically raised from the dead. For him, the empty tomb was enough. He saw and he believed. This Resurrection Sunday, three important elements to his story and why this should become our story. Number one, the historicity of the resurrection. Number two, for those taking notes, is the intimacy of the resurrection. The intimacy of the resurrection. Not only is the tomb empty... But we have detailed accounts of Jesus appearing to his disciples in deeply personal ways. We've already seen, if you're with us on Friday, the the deeply intimate moment as Jesus calls out from the cross and asks John to look after his mother. We've seen his affection even in that moment as he hung there on that cross. But pick it up with me as the story continues in John chapter 20 verse 11. It says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. This Mary, there's lots of Marys around. This Mary is Mary Magdalene, the one we've already been introduced to earlier on in chapter 20, and she is weeping. Now, you need to understand the nature of this weeping. The idea behind the word is more like wailing. It's not just a little a little quiet tear out of the corner of her eye. This is not a hidden grief under some glasses at a funeral. It's loud, it's raw, it's real. She's already filled with sorrow from his death three days earlier. And that grief is only intensified for Mary when she arrives at the tomb to find that it is empty. Who has taken the body of Jesus? Who has interfered with her saviour? Now remember, if you remember anything of Mary Magdalene's story, remember who Jesus is to her. 
You know, we read elsewhere in the Gospels that she had seven demons come out of her. Jesus saved her from that oppression. And perhaps, I don't know, maybe she even fears that the demons will return in the absence of Jesus. Who will save her then? She could be gripped by the fear of uncertainty. The story continues, verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. She wants answers. It hasn't yet crossed her mind by the looks of things that Jesus is alive. Her weeping and pain uh, is probably getting louder. It's increasing. The, The empty tomb for her wasn't enough. The angels haven't yet triggered to her that something supernatural has occurred. She just wants to get to the bottom of it. She just wants to know what has happened. You know, it reminds me of countless um, interviews on television that I've seen where a mother or a father um, are reporting about their son or their daughter that's gone missing and they plead, would someone who knows something please come forward? Verse 14 continues, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Uh, Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Here is Jesus the one that she is looking for. You know, perhaps the tears from her raw wailing are making her vision foggy. Perhaps it's a little dark in the tomb. Perhaps it's just that Jesus looks a little bit different now. You know, it almost feels, as you read back on this, like a moment of Shakespearean comedy. You know, a a failure to see that someone's in disguise and as the audience, you're looking on and you're going, he's just got a set of glasses on. It's clearly... It's clearly him. It feels a little bit like that, and yet Mary doesn't consider this a funny moment. Her grief is only growing. But focus in on what happens next in this incredible moment of resurrection intimacy. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Love this, the sound of her name. She has moved from tears of sorrow to tears of joy. This is her rabbi. This is her teacher. This is her master. This is her Lord. The risen Christ is here. Death could not hold him down. He's already taken our sin, Mary's sin, at the cross. He's already defeated Satan at the cross. He's already conquered death at the cross. And now his tomb is empty. There's a vindication of sorts here. He wasn't lying on Good Friday when he said, it is finished. The empty tomb is the proof that the cross worked. It's proof that that death will not have the last say. It is proof that there is a time coming 
when all tears will be wiped away. Weep no more. That is Mary Magdalene's hope. Christ is there for her at that moment. Christ banishes her sadness and her fears. You see, the resurrection is deeply personal. It's deeply intimate. Jesus not only appears to Mary Magdalene, but appears to the other disciples. And we read elsewhere in the Bible that he appeared to over 500 witnesses. You see, the beautiful thing about this intimate moment is that Jesus, listen carefully, Jesus calls our name too. This moment here in John chapter 20 is a foretaste for us to see and behold the risen Jesus. You know, not in the same tangible way as Mary had on that resurrection Sunday. But this is good news. This is powerful news that transforms us as we hear Jesus call. We recognize him as our Lord and Master. His tomb is still empty. He's still alive today. He's alive forever and ever. Understand this about the intimacy of the resurrection, that that resurrected king who met with Mary Magdalene on that day is still in the business of transforming those who weep, those who are broken, those who have fears, to be filled with uninhibited joy in knowing Jesus, knowing that he's alive, knowing that he loves us, knowing that he's with us. You know, in recent years, uh, countless studies have identified the problem of loneliness in our society. Uh, The coronavirus pandemic of the last few years has only highlighted that growing loneliness pandemic. You know, this generation, uh, through social media, digital connections, is the most connected generation of all time, and yet, simultaneously, the most isolated and lonely. I'm confident there's a lot of people in this room right now that many of us know something of this loneliness. Perhaps you're new to Brisbane, perhaps you're new to Queensland, perhaps you're new to Australia, perhaps you're even just conscious of the the ever-increasing urban isolation, so many people around, but so many superficial connections. Perhaps right now, as you gather with us this morning, you feel deeply loneliness. You feel the loneliness of being rejected. You feel the loneliness of being marginalised. You feel the loneliness of being alienated. Jesus comes to you, friend, in your time of need. He calls you by name. He desires a relationship with you. He calls you into a deep and intimate relationship, not only with him, but with his people. And not only for eternity, but even now in the context of Christian community. We hope and pray that City on a Hill can be a place where you find community and connection. You know, it's difficult to know everyone uh, who gathers here Sunday by Sunday, and so uh, we get together in smaller communities of life, love, and mission. We call them gospel communities, and our hope is that as people get connected into gospel communities, there's an opportunity to experience an even greater intimacy with Jesus' people as together we know Jesus uh, together. Have you heard Jesus calling your name. 
I'm not, I'm not saying literally. I'm not saying you ought to even expect to literally hear your name. I've never heard Jesus call my name out loud. But Jesus says that he is the good shepherd and that his sheep do hear his voice. Have you heard, can you hear the risen Jesus calling you today to weep no more? The call is to believe. John believed, verse 8, by seeing the empty tomb. Mary believed, we just read, by hearing her name. If we kept reading, we'd see that Thomas believed by seeing and touching Jesus. How can we believe? Well, you won't have the same experience as those people had in the first century. And so how is it possible that any of us, some 2,000 years later, after these historical events have taken place, how is it possible for us to believe? Turn with me to the end of the chapter, the final paragraph. In John chapter 20, verse 30, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that authorial intent. There's a purpose about to come. This is why the author has written this biography of Jesus. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, resurrection life, in his name. How is it possible for us to believe? Well, it's based on the eyewitness testimony of those who saw those who heard, those who ate, those who touched, those who were with Jesus. Just like we were able to discern what took place in a cricket match at the Gabba, we can believe because of the testimony of those who did see and because of history that has been recorded for that very purpose. You see, if we were around in the first century, we could have gone and asked one of the 500 plus people who had seen Jesus... Tell me what you saw. Tell me what you saw. Grab a notepad uh, or grab a, a, a stone tablet or whatever it was and, and go around and interview as many people as you could find. What did you see? What did you see? Where were you? You actually touched him? He said your name? He caught fish with you? Wait, what? Go and ask the witnesses. We can't do that. But we can read of what so many of them saw and heard as it's written down for us within the Scriptures. John has been so deliberate and so kind to us, not just those in the first century, but to to all of us in putting this gospel account, this biography of Jesus down, so that we will believe. He's told us what he saw. He's told us what Peter saw. He's reminded us that he's a faster runner than Peter. He's told us about Mary's story. He's told us about Thomas's story and the rest. In fact, the whole of the New Testament is an eyewitness document of Jesus and all that he has done and the story of those who first believed him and the impact that even after the death, burial, resurrection and ascension of Jesus, what continued to happen by the resurrection power of Jesus as the Spirit of Jesus sent the disciples to the ends of the earth. I love all of John's letters uh, writing in the um, New Testament. He gives us a purpose statement. It's really good if you're a dumb reader. I want those clues. His goal is that we would believe, that we would have faith that this is true, that we would trust in Jesus, that we would depend upon him, relying upon his finished work at the cross, that he is the Christ, that he is the King, that he is the Son of God, and that we would have life. Read the whole of John's Gospel. He talks about life a lot. 
He talks about eternal life a lot. He talks about resurrection life a lot. These are written down that we would share in that resurrection life that Jesus has won for us. This is really good news. Amen? We don't deserve life. Remember that as you walk in this morning. You are not entitled to eternal life. You are not entitled to anything good from God. As righteous as you think you are, as good as you think you are, as, as, as capable and competent as you think you are, you do not deserve life. I do not deserve life. None of us deserve eternal life and resurrection life. All of us are in the exact same boat, whether we know it or not. We've rebelled against our King and our Maker. We've rebelled against the one who gives us life and breath and everything. And yet Jesus, in his incredible kindness, the only one who is without sin, goes to the cross, pays the penalty on our behalf for our sin. It is finished was the cry on Good Friday. The debt has been paid in full because Jesus has taken that penalty upon himself. None of us here in this building, none of us here in this city, no person anywhere across the planet throughout time is deserving of what Christ has accomplished for us. And yet how kind has God been to us in Jesus Christ, our King and Saviour? And how kind has God been to us that because Jesus not only died for us, but rose to life freely, graciously, he gives all who believe in him life. Just like Jesus' tomb is empty, Christian, brother, sister, you can have confidence that your tomb will be empty, that you will be raised, that you will be raised imperishable, that you will behold his face, that you will be physically in his presence and hear your name. Look, I want to speak for a moment to those who, um, who don't yet believe this message. Again, we are just so glad that you are here. Uh, we hope and trust every week is a good week to, to know Jesus uh, and get to know him through God's word. And so Sunday by Sunday, each week when we meet, we open this book, we learn about him. Uh, and let me just be totally upfront. We are not in the business of coercing or forcing someone to believe. But we do want you to take time to consider Jesus. And perhaps this, there's a long journey you've been on weighing up the claims of Jesus and Christianity, or perhaps it's been a pretty short journey. Perhaps this is even fairly new to you, and you're like, actually, the history stacks up. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And perhaps even today, you can hear the call of Jesus. You believe. Yeah, yeah, and I actually believe he really did die on the cross. Yeah, of course he was a historical figure. And of course he died on the cross. And yeah, all the evidence seems to be in the corner that, yeah, he rose from the dead. And so my question to you this morning, again, don't feel coerced, don't feel manipulated, is what's holding you back? From today, putting your trust in Jesus. From today, taking hold of the incredible promise that his empty tomb gives to you. That you can be raised simply by believing. You don't have to get your life in order. You don't have to kind of clean yourself up. Okay, actually, Dave, this sounds really good, but you don't know the junk that's in my life. I need to deal with that junk first, and then I can come to Jesus. No, bring your junk, bring your mess, bring your sin, bring your shame, and bring it to Jesus and take hold of what he is offering to you today. Forgiveness, resurrection, 
eternal life, eternal hope. You know, you might still have questions. That's okay. So do I. I talk about this stuff all the time. I still don't understand it all. I've still got questions about the Bible. I've still got questions about the future. But like so many people in this room, yes, we still have questions, but we can see the big bits in the middle. We can see clearly who Jesus is. We can see what he's accomplished in his death. We can believe based on reliable eyewitnesses that he was raised from the dead. You know, in a moment, uh, I'm even going to invite you today, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and aren't yet believing in him, uh, and you're ready to do that, I'm going to encourage you to pray a prayer in just a moment, which is a a helpful short prayer as a way of taking a a first step in believing in Jesus and giving your life to him. But before we do that, uh, we began considering how this Resurrection Sunday, there's three important elements to his story and why this should become our story. Number one is the historicity of the resurrection. Number two is the intimacy of the resurrection. And most briefly, number three is the urgency of the resurrection. Uh, just briefly, this is a, particularly a message for believe, those who are already believers or those perhaps even who are about to become believers and followers of Jesus. Quickly have a look with me at John chapter 20, verse 17. It says, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. You could imagine Mary wanting to cling (laughs) to Jesus. Jesus like, no, 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 don't cling to me, don't hold on to me. Now, as one commentator said this, he said, this is not the time for sentimentalities, rather, Jesus calls for action, but go and tell them. You know, she's given a task to testify to this news. She's sent to share the good news with others, sent as a, as a sent one, as a missionary of the risen Jesus. And you need to understand this, the inescapable implication of Easter faith in every generation is that I have seen the Lord must lead to go. In the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. I have seen the Lord. Go and tell others that you've seen the Lord. You know, here in Brisbane, we are sent ones. Uh, By all means, consider where God might be sending you anywhere in the world. Consider what it would look like to give up everything that you know, to give up the security of your job, to give up the security of having family nearby and go to the nations. Take the good news, use the skills that you have, use the gifts that you have, use the faith that you have to go to the ends of the earth. But here in Brisbane, even right now, we are sent ones. We live as missionaries, as those who have seen the Lord. We know Jesus We are known by Jesus, and that must lead to wanting to make Jesus known. So brothers and sisters, count the cost, carry your cross, go to the nations. May this Resurrection Sunday send us out again with resurrection power. We have seen the Lord, and let's call on all people everywhere to believe in Christ. I'm going to pray two prayers 
I'm going to pray a, a basic sorry, thanks, please prayer that I'd like to invite you to pray out loud with me in a moment. And then I'm going to pray a prayer that God would send us all out empowered with this gospel message. Now, this sorry, thanks, please prayer is uh, an excellent opportunity. If you want to pray to become a Christian, pray this prayer. Uh, or if you know you've wandered away from God and you kind of want to come back, this is a good opportunity to kind of recenter yourself and come back to Christ. But likewise, for the many of us here who are already following Jesus, pray this prayer again. Uh, this sorry, thanks, please prayer, I think is a good prayer to pray every morning and every evening. Uh, I personally pray prayers shaped like this prayer, not these exact words, uh, but praying them every day, again, coming before God in humility, thankful for all that he's done and asking for his ongoing presence and guidance in my life. Sorry is all about... God, I'm sorry for my sin, my rebellion, my rejection. Thanks is all about thank you for Jesus who came, who laid down his life, who dealt with my sin, who rose from the dead, who offers me new life, who enables me to become one of his children. And please is asking, forgive me, cleanse me, help me to live a life of love in response to all that Christ has done. I'm going to pray this prayer, leave a little gap after each line, uh, and I'd like you to pray it out loud. Uh, uh, you won't be the only one praying it. There'll be lots of Christians around you who are praying it, but perhaps this is your moment and this is your opportunity to take hold of what Christ has done uh, and pray this prayer for the very first time. Uh, out loud together, let's pray. Dear God, I am sorry for my sin. I am sorry for rejecting you. I don't deserve your love. Thanks for sending Jesus to die on the cross. In my place and for my sin, so I may be forgiven. Thanks that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me and help me to love Jesus and live with Jesus as my king. Amen. Amen. Uh, as I invite the band out the front, let me encourage you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, that is good news. Uh, the Bible even says that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven over even only one sinner coming back to God. If you've prayed that prayer or even would love a conversation about the nature of faith and sorry, thanks and please, please uh, come and speak to me, uh, come and speak with Tara, speak with one of our team out at the info desk, fill out one of our connect cards later on. Uh, we would love to help you not just with the first step, uh, but with ongoing steps in following after Jesus. Uh, why don't I pray one more time? Uh, why don't you stand with me uh, as I pray uh, and pray that God would indeed send us out empowered by his spirit. Our gracious God, we thank you that Jesus came. We thank you that Jesus lived. We thank you that Jesus died. We thank you that he was raised again. We thank you for the witnesses who saw him alive again. We thank you that we've now heard of their testimony and that we can likewise see the Lord. Uh, we thank you that we can trust in Jesus, the ascended one, who right now rules and reigns and will one day return. And Father, we ask that week by week as we gather, particularly this Sunday, that we would be sent out in resurrection power, that we would be sent out with a message that the world desperately needs to know. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Uh, help us to go boldly and do what only you can do as people hear the call to turn to Christ and find resurrection life in him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church 
Or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.